It dawned on me we're a church with a donut team. Did you not catch that? I think that's incredible. Uh, my name is Jose. I'm thrilled to be with you. We're going to read um, from the Bible. But before uh, we do that, I just wanted to give you a heads up. We have so many people since the pandemic and worldwide, all churches shut down for a short period of time and rebooted. Um, some of you may not know, but this is our last Sunday of this fiscal year. As a church, you know, we give uh, out of the overflow of God's generosity to us back to him, and we do all sorts of Jesus stuff. And, and our new fiscal year starts October 1, so it runs September through the end of, uh, October 1 through the end of September. This is our last Sunday. And with that, we're going to give a report. So those of you who signed up for the weekly, once we close the books, just so you see. But I wanted to give you a little bit of a highlight um, to celebrate and also just to be aware. One highlight, um, even through the pandemic with fewer people in attendance, um, 1.48 million was given this year, the highest amount ever given in 10 years of our church through the generosity of God's people. We want to celebrate. Like, we want to celebrate. Yeah. Fewer people doing more to Jesus, not to a person or to an institution, to the work of Jesus in the world. We ought to celebrate that. Part of it was because those of you who know, uh, we renovated our space, uh, gutted and updated the bathrooms, which are way better than the previous ones, would you agree? And then I have kids' space that's better fit with walls that can scale the size. All the renovation is done. A few tweaks that they need to come back and fix. All of those bills are paid. So hallelujah. In spring, though, we mentioned that regular giving, just the ongoing tithes and offerings, was beginning to slow down. Partly, I think, there is a war going on in Ukraine. And, and, and uh, fuel prices went up and up and up and up and up. And I think we're all feeling the pinch, but we wanted you to know that. So just where are we at? Because we went through the summer. Um, we, because if you th think of the budget, we have about $27,000 is needed every single week to operate bare minimum. And it may seem like a lot, but it's actually not given the 253 families who give in a given year. Uh, but that's about 27000 needed a week. Uh, for the last eight weeks, we have not hit that one week. So we've been below in the last few weeks. Lots of things. In, in August, a lot of people go away and, and go on vacation or whatever the case may be, but that's been the trend. Um, so this is just a word. If this is your church, when everyone does their part, everything's covered and there's more than enough to give away. Amen. That's it. It's really that simple. So this isn't a, a guilt trip. As a matter of fact, I was reading just this morning, uh, Galatians, uh, I'm sorry, um, 2 Corinthians 9, verse uh, 8 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And this is in the context of giving to Jesus' work, right? And, and the pattern is so helpful. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, and here's the why. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And so this is just a word. We are um, at the end of this week dipping into our reserve fund to cover some of those shortages. By God's grace, we have a reserve fund because of your generosity. So we plan, but what you can't plan 
is continued below giving. So we're just inviting you, if this is your church, do what you've decided as a family and in your heart. And the Lord will give you, here's the crazy thing, he will give you in ways you could never figure out so that as you put his kingdom first in giving, every need that you have is met. I don't, I don't know how, but I've found an experience. God has done more in my life with less. <laughs> when I put him first, it's crazy. The moment I stop giving and I get fearful and I say I need it, that's when things don't go my way, and I hope that you find that to be the case. We'll do a full report when it's all said and done, have the slideshow and all celebrate all the good stuff. But I thought I better mention it now because some of you, when you see all of this, you may think like, oh, wow, this church is loaded. Um, well, we're loaded with great people who love Jesus, who want to do Jesus' work. And so I just ask you, those who are part of the church, keep up the great work. And those who are giving above and beyond, thank you. You're making a difference. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to go back to our series called Turning Point. Lord, we thank you that you're alive and moving here. You're alive and moving in spaces outside of this building with our brothers and sisters who are watching online or in other rooms in this building. Lord, thank you even for the gift of technology to stay connected through these seasons of disruption. Lord, we love you, and we're grateful that we get to come into this house to be with your people, not just friends, not just strangers to the left and the right, but those of us who call in your name, Jesus, brothers, sisters, family, related. And Lord, thank you that this is just a taste of the great thing that you're doing in all of history. And one day, as we think about the future, we're going to celebrate with every nation and tribe and tongue from all ages. And billions and billions will be surrounding you, Lord, because you'll be at the center and we'll say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And God, until then, we want to say it now. We want to sing now. We want to learn now. We want to live like you, Jesus, now as we await your second coming. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, sorry for going off on that prayer, but I can just go for like 30 minutes. I'm just caught up in the goodness of God. Okay. Well, I was gone last week. I was in North Carolina, and I was at a gathering of a hundred some odd leaders from 13 different countries talking about how do we help grow disciples to Jesus in a post-pandemic world? How do we do this? And so I'm sorry I missed the gathering. I was able to catch it on the way home. Thank God for technology. But before coming home, I did what every wise person would do after a long week of conferences. I played around a golf. Monday morning, I went out and it was before flying out and I, I brought my clubs and went out and got there early enough uh, to be the first one out so I can play really fast. So here I am on this course. And the hook on the course, for those of you who golf, for those who don't care, just tune out for a second. But for those, it has a par six, a 747-yard hole. That's a par six. When it was built, it was one of the longest in the country. And so I thought, I'm going to check out this course, and I'm going to defeat it. Well, so I get to that stellar hole, which is hole 16, and I'm in a cart, and I'm driving, and the whole hole is slanted like this with a little creek. It's sideways, and that's, like, that's how they get you, because how are you going to hit it in a way where the ball is going to run towards the water? So I'm the first one out. I'm driving the cart. There's a path on the bottom by the creek. You should stay on the path with your cart. But I'm like, there's nobody here. My ball was up at the top. Let me just drive up the hill. So I drove up the hill, and it's parked to the side. I get out and think like, okay, that wasn't smart, but here I am. So I go. I hit the third shot. 
beautiful. I'm rejoicing. I get in the cart and just turn it to go down the hill. And, and you know where this is going. So I didn't touch anything. I'm like, I'm going to let it glide. And then it starts picking up. And I touch the brake and it starts spinning. So I correct and it starts spinning. And I correct again. And I'm going to do a full 360 and realize this cart is going to turn over. I'm going to die alone. And so I jump out of the cart. I start rolling down the hill. And then the cart starts coming down backwards. And then it dawns on me, because this hill was, was big. This happened in a flash. But I'm telling you, it took three years. It was, I'm like, my clubs, the keys to the car, my wallet is all on that cart. So I'm running down the hill trying to catch up to it, saying, please don't fall in the creek. It's going backwards. I'm going to lose it all. And I'm... I, and, and, it slows down, and there were a few God-planted trees right at the edge of the creek, and it bumped the edge of the tree and stopped, and I shook myself out and thought, thank God nobody was here, and nobody can tell this story but me. Life can feel like that at times. One moment, it's glory. I'm on this beautiful course. I'm having this beautiful morning around, and in a moment it could spin out of control and go from good to bad to worse to grateful. Turning points. Um, there are turning points in our lives when things are going well and the week started amazing, and then you opened your email. You're having a fantastic day, and all is well, and then you came home to chaos. Turning points. We, we deal with them every day, and in the Bible, we see that there are larger turning points in the story of God's people that help teach us how to navigate our day-to-day -day challenges. So this is week three, and we're going to finish it next week. Uh, and the huge turning point that you see from the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, to the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, there's a massive turning point in the life of Jesus we'll look at next week. But let's just start at the beginning. The first one we saw was Moses to Joshua. God gives God's people his word. They, they're rescued from Egypt. They're brought to the land of promise. But before they get to the land, God gives them himself, his word. Why? To lead them and guide them. How are you going to love God with all your heart? How are you going to love your neighbor as yourself? God gives his people his word. And the word on the turning point for Moses is Joshua is, don't forget the book. And our word to you as we kick off the next year of church together, because we go in the calendar year of school, because that's most of life for many of us, is don't forget the book this year. You're inundated with shows. You're inundated with entertainment. You're inundated with options. Don't forget the book. How are you going to honor God with your life when you neglect God and meeting with him in his word? The second turning point that we saw was from Joshua because Joshua ends his life. He follows the book of the law. They possess the land. But every generation has to decide to follow Jesus. Every generation. And just because your generation does, doesn't mean the generation after you will. And so we saw the transition from Joshua to the judges, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, it's a sad book, but it's also a book of hope, because if you read Judges carefully, every time God's people repent, they say to God, your word is true, and we are out of alignment. 
God sends rescuers. He raises up these judges, and they rescue the people, and they're given a second chance. And for friends, for many of you, the pandemic was hurtful but helpful because it pointed you in the Jesus direction. It was hurtful. How many of you want to sit in your house for another two years? No, no. But it caused you to evaluate your life. And in that sense, it could be that this has been a turning point season that you went away from God back to his heart. And the word for us is don't make light when God exposes what's really going on because he wants to rescue. There's hope. There's a second chance. And and that's what we see as God's people. There are moments in all of our lives where we turn and do what's right in our own eyes. And Jesus is saying to you, if that's you here this morning, you popped into church trying to figure out if this whole Jesus thing is for real and for you, the word to you is it's real. Jesus is real and he sees and he knows and he loves. He's for you and he's he's not against you and he's calling you back. But if you don't turn to him, you're going to find like what happened to people in the past. There was destruction in their life, unnecessary destruction. But when we turn, God is faithful. Now, the third shift I want us to see, because at the end of the period of Judges, if you've ever read the Bible, you have a season in their history of kings. The Judges lasted between 300 to 400 years, more than the history of America. Think about it, more than our whole nation's history. It's a huge period in the life of God's people. But then there's a shift. And I want you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to 1 Samuel 8. Because this shift in judges leading, these people that were just raised up for a season of help, to kings marks something I don't want us to miss when it comes to how we rethink things in times of change. We're going to read first. Uh, uh, Samuel 8. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's a little long, but it's worth getting uh, acquainted with the whole story. But as we do it, here's the setup. When there's massive shift and massive change, we will be tempted, we'll be tested, we'll be lured into making decisions that seem right, but when we actually check the motivation of our heart, turn out to be wrong. That may sound obscure, but that's the lens. It seems like they're doing the good thing, but it turns out they're not. And the same could be said for us. So let's just read the narrative and we'll consider it. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel leaders. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. Notice, but his sons did not follow his ways, Samuel's ways, which were godly ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So the elders of Israel, the leaders, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. It was going to go from Samuel to his sons after he died. Now, appoint a king to lead us as uh, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. And so he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, notice this, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is is not you that they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but... Warn them. 
solemnly let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. I could stop there, but I want you to notice how good God is. They're about to make a decision which is bad, and God tells them how bad it's going to be. Verse 10, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, others to plow the ground and reap his, uh, his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. How's that for a king? He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you've chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. They had a chance for a turnaround, but notice verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Why? Verse 20. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them, give them a king. And Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. Be careful what you ask for. When we read 1 Samuel 8, in light of the whole Bible, here's the funny thing. When they're in the desert making their way to the land of promise, God already tells Moses that there will be kings in the future. So the idea of them having a king wasn't foreign, wasn't a surprise to God. But I want us to see the pattern and this turning point. What can we learn from this transition? Because it seems like God in his goodness is telling them the truth about what they're asking for and giving them a chance to turn. And in the end, the people are like, we don't want to hear it. Samuel, we've made up our mind. And God gives them what they asked for, and they get what they asked for. And if you read the period of the kings, you have Saul. How does he turn out? Great start in a horrific, failing future. David, a man after God's own heart, great start and a troubling decline towards the end. Solomon, great start, expands the kingdom, builds the temple, and gets married Again and 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 again. And these wives turn him and his heart away from the living God. And then Solomon dies. And the kingdom is fractured with his boys. And it never returns to one united people. And so their highlights in the period of the kings, it's not all bad news but we ought to be careful what we ask for. Two things 
I want us to see that are totally applicable today, tomorrow, in the season of church together as a family. The first is, write it down, we need to check our motives often. How often? Yes. We need to check our motives often. At first glance, it looks like the people are asking for a good thing. The nations have someone who's a representative to fight their battles and orchestrate. And in Israel, there's like these judges that pop up and pop down. There are 12 tribes that are working together in unison. And when they need a leader, they emerge. But they're unlike the other people. And in the sense, if you look at it, wow, aren't they asking for a good thing? Samuel, you've been judging, ruling over us, but your boys are wicked and they're corrupt. And we look at our past. We've had some bad judges and we don't want to return to the old way. Their motives, though, are exposed by the Lord. Verse 7, if you still have your Bible open, the Lord told Samuel, listen to all the people are saying to you, it's not you they rejected. They've rejected me. Who's supposed to be the king over the people, the 12 tribes? It's supposed to be God. God raises up human leaders, men and women, for sure. But what made this people unique was their dependence on God to lead. Every other nation had the king who was considered a god. And they had the pantheon of gods, powerful forces to protect them. But these people were to live differently because the true king, the creator, Yahweh is his name. He is their loving father. He's their good shepherd. So these are called to be a people who live differently than the world around them. And God exposes their heart. They were actually rejecting God. A helpful commentary on these verses. Quote from Bill Arnold in the NIV application commentary. The demand for a king is sinful in its motives and timing. They're tired of being who they are. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Israelites of Samuel's day attempt to cross over the divinely ordained boundaries in order to become something they were not created to be and are not supposed to be. They're not satisfied with what God has done with them and where God has placed them. So as Adam and Eve long to become, quote-unquote, like God, the elders of Israel long to become, quote, like the other nations, end quote. Let's get practical for a moment. Let's, this applies to every area of life. The decisions you're making, the choices you're thinking about, the plan that you have in front of you, let me just ask you, before acting on it, have you checked your motivation? It may be logical. It was logical for them to reject Samuel's sons. It may be practical. The nations around all have a king. Seems to be working for them. But check the motive. Before you jump into that decision, are your motives in line with God's heart. Here's the beautiful thing about following Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We do a long series on the person of the Holy Spirit, the abiding presence, God with us in the here and now. If you're a follower of Jesus, all you have to do is expose your soul to the God who's right here and say, God, I want to be honest with myself. Check my heart. David, who's the king after God's own heart, is the one who said, test me, God. Check my inward thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Guide me in the way everlasting. It's what made Saint, uh, uh, David a man after God's own heart is even in his failures, he turns Godward 
And when he realizes his motivations are off, he comes Godward. And the end of his life is still hard, but he ends Godward. And you could be the same, and I could be the same. And as Jesus' people, we're invited to check our motivation and ask God, how, how are we living as Jesus' people in this post-pandemic world? This, I'll just give one layer to apply this out, but you can apply this in any situation in your life. In the last year, two years, three years, people have always been rethinking church and like, I don't know if this is worth it or I don't know if this is helpful. But once the church shut down for six months and then got rebooted, lots of people have been rethinking, can I love Jesus and just live apart from the church? Because gosh, I was at home for six months and I did all right. It's probably not true, but, but this to say it went okay. Do I really need church anymore? Can I just like pick and choose, you know, sample like buffet meal and podcast this and do that and, and just me and a couple of buddies, can't we just, do I really need church anymore? Now, and there's a couple of reasons. One is there have been things within God's people that have been disgusting and unlike Jesus. And so sometimes Christians don't act like Jesus. Would you agree? Sometimes I don't act like Jesus. I'm not pointing the finger at you. Often, I'm not in line with his way. And so many of us have been hurt by the church. So like the people, we could say, well, Samuel, that doesn't work. The church was hurtful. Can't we follow Jesus in a different way? And if you have been hurt and you're here, thank you for giving it another effort. Thank you for not giving up yet. God knows the hurt, and it doesn't make the person who did it right. Those hurts are real, and they were wrong. And there's healing in the name of Jesus. And God can restore, and God can make new. But before we make decisions, remember, their decision was logical. But God knows the matters of the heart, which is why he checks them. And I wonder, for us, just using this as, it's this A example that kind of fits our cultural moment. Um, I've heard time and time again, I realize after a few years of not going, I really don't need church anymore. I love Jesus. I read my Bible. I just don't need the church. And I've heard that, like, in so many nuanced ways, and it's a real thing. But I think when we think of church, we got to remember, this will help us, and it will check our motives, that church is best pictured as a hospital. And I, I've been to St. V's many times, whether for our own family or to visit people who are in there. And the crazy thing about a hospital is that it is always filled with people who are unwell. Don't go to the emergency room. They're overrun right now. But when things calm down, go to the emergency room and just look for the people who are doing fine. There are a few who are with struggling people, but the, a hospital is a place of healing and wholeness. But here's the challenge. It's filled with people who are hurting and broken. And that is church. So sometimes we get hurt in the church because there's a lot of things that are unresolved and Jesus is working in us and through us and we don't have it together and we're all in process and we're trying to grow and take three steps forward and five steps back and we keep going and so, yeah, um, it's filled with messy people all the time. And if you're expecting Jesus' perfection in his body 
right now expressed in the way we live, you're going to be disappointed. But we don't throw away a hospital because it's filled with sick people. Rather, we commit to it because it's the vehicle of healing. And I want to suggest the same is true for God's people. God raised up judges. It was in their heart. Their motives were off. And God identifies it to Samuel and repeats it twice. They're saying they want a king as a good thing, but actually the motives of their heart, they're rejecting me. So before you throw away, or maybe you're wrestling with someone in your family, someone you love, many people that you know, hey, let's do this with grace and mercy. Let's humble ourselves. We're not going to point fingers. But let's help our friends to see that this place of brokenness called the church is actually the tool that Jesus is choosing to use. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church until they fail me. No. I'm going to build my church, and even hell is not going to win over my people. The church is the body of the Messiah. I want you to think about that visual for a second. The church is the extension of God. Christ is the head of the church. You cannot take the body off of the head and have anything but a monster. There's a life in the body, but Christ isn't the body. Christ is the head. Who is the body? We. Church matters to Jesus and so in our moment, I'm again, I'm just applying one thing. You can apply this to any of your situations. Church is the place where broken people are. But let's, let's just check our motives often before we reject the thing that Jesus loves. Because what if in rejecting the church because of all its flaws, we're actually pushing away Jesus? And it seems spiritual, but actually it's not. Second reason. First is we want to check our motives often whenever we're making decisions. The second thing I want you to see from these people that applies to our people is we need to resist the temptation to live like the culture around us. We're going to be tempted to want to fit into everyone else's agenda. This has been no uh, more on display than the various differences of opinion that have emerged in the last three years. Would you agree? The good thing is, in the church, we all agreed on which party is right. We all agreed on the right strategy to navigate COVID. We all agreed on what to do with racial injustice and the aches and pains in our city. We're all unified. We're all in one accord. We're all together. No. Not completely, but as a whole, we've acted like everybody else. Let's just call it what it is. We've acted like everybody else. And everyone else took sides. And everyone else shouted louder. And everyone else name-called. And everyone else said, well, if you believe that, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. Forgetting that we, not you, we are the body of Christ. We're going to be tempted to live like the world around us. So Israel asked for a king because everyone else had a king. Let me just ask you this. Since when did everyone else is doing it 
become the standard for the decisions that we make. So this is, the Bible's relevant. It is useful. It's practical. It's helpful because Israel, the tribes, in this particular case, they say, well, everyone else is doing it, so we needed to do it as well. Since when did popularity become the standard? Well, if most people believe this, shouldn't we? And I think this is where the Bible just comes to life. We need to check our motives often, and then we need to press in and ask ourselves, is this a temptation to live like everyone else, or is this an opportunity to stand in the way of Jesus, stand with his way, take it, whatever comes with it, because Jesus' way is grounded, Jesus' way is life-giving, Jesus' way is true, Jesus' way lasts. His is the better way. And so in a culture that's turning away from him, I'm not going to yell at people. I'm simply going to say, I'm standing with Jesus on this one. And let the chips fall where they may. It's why Paul, who knows the Bible by heart, writes to the church at Rome, 11 chapters of this is the good news of Jesus. And then he's going to apply it. And what's the first thing that this man who's full of the Holy Spirit following the way of Jesus, and knows the Bible memorized by heart. I think in a sense, he probably looks back to the transition points in their history, and then he tells the church this, quote, Romans 12, 1 through 2, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God, because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable, this is truly the way to worship him. And then I underline, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is all about decision making. Decide, because you have accepted Jesus Christ, to live the Jesus way. How do I live the Jesus way? I submit all I am to God. Everything I am, everything I will be, and say, God, my worship to you is going to be to learn your way and follow your leading because this is what you really want. How do I know if I'm following the way of Jesus? I don't copy the customs of the world that are against the way of Jesus, but I let God transform me into a new person by changing the way I think. How do I change the way I think? It goes back to the first week. Don't forget the book of the law. Memorize it. Think about it. Talk about it in your community groups because as we think about God's way and we think about how to live in God's way, it's going to show the comparison between the way of our culture and the way of Jesus. And then together as God's people, we're going to go in the way of Jesus. By the way, I lined this up for week one of community groups on purpose. This is no accident. The greatest thing that we can do to live the Jesus way is to gather together and talk about what we heard from the Bible because there's one thing to hear the Bible or to hear something about the Bible. It's another thing to get with some people who are going to see you next week and say, what is Jesus telling us to do or not do? And then pray for one another that God will give grace and mercy and then come back the next week and do a little check-in. How are we doing at loving one another? Epic fail on Tuesday. No worries. What was Wednesday like? Slightly better. Okay, that's good to hear. What was Friday like? I don't want to talk about it. Okay, but you're here. Let's pray for grace and mercy 
and God's empowering presence. Let's keep on keeping on together. We need one another to follow the way of Jesus. And by the way, we need one another to not let the world squeeze us into its mold. And the enemy knows how to pick us apart. You know what he just does? It's the simplest plan. It's the oldest trick in the book, yet we fall prey to it. He just isolates us. We are the body of Christ. And the moment you listen to the enemy's lie, which tells you you don't need the body, he's already got half of you. And then all he has to do is keep you on your own, by yourself, isolated from the presence of other Jesus people who, by the way, most of the time God speaks to me, it's not through a loud voice from the heavens, it's through my friends. God speaks to me through my Jesus-loving friends when they quote the Bible or something that's true that I'm out of alignment with, and that's why we need one another. Are we going to live for ourselves and our own version of truth like the culture is saying? No, we're not. And we're being inundated right now. Every message, if you are a teenager right now, this, this sounds so old school, but everything being that being pushed your way is saying you're the center of the universe. You know the difference between right and wrong. You can create your own reality. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. And some of you are like, and that's not right? Because it's like fish. This is the water we're swimming in. You don't even realize you're breathing it in. This is why we need the church to lovingly say there's a better way. You know, lies often taste delicious at the first bite. Adam and Eve, they saw something and it was pleasing to the eye and it wasn't an apple. They, they ate. Like, this is amazing. Not really realizing it had nothing to do with eating the fruit. It had everything to do with, do you trust that God is good? And that God's way is better. And by acting in their own way, they were saying, God, we don't need you. We have our garden now. Thank you very much. And so, so it tastes good. And doing your own thing feels great. Sin is always more enticing than holiness. But regret comes in the morning. Heartache comes next week. Depression and deep darkness comes month after month when you realize, God, I've gone so far from your heart. Here's good news. God always takes people back. You know, Jesus never pushed anyone away who came to him, ever. And no matter what we're going through, we can come back. So let me just ask you and let's respond in worship. How are you doing? Are, are you growing in awareness of what Jesus is like and what he wants, his good and perfect and pleasing will of your life? Are you growing or shrinking? Do you even want to grow in wanting what God wants? If we're going to make great decisions, we're going to need to check our motivations and we're going to need to make sure and resist the temptation to do what everyone else is doing. God's people ask Samuel, Give us a king. And I want you to remember, and I read those details for a reason. Even after God told them what the kings are going to do, 
They're like, that sounds great. We're going to give him our money. We're going to give him our kids. He's going to use and abuse us. That's what we want, God. It showed how far their heart was. See, these aren't issues of behavior. Behavior comes after the fact. It always starts here in your heart. Or should I say, it always starts here in your heart. Because in the Bible, the heart is the soul, is the deep place, is the mind. And as a person thinks, they will act. And so God wants to renew us because he's given us a new heart, a new mind. He's given us his presence, the Holy Spirit, which we're going to walk into a deeper understanding of so that we can live empowered people to discern the culture and not hate it. I am not talking about talking other people down. I'm talking about simply saying, that sounds great, but have you thought about? And here's what I've learned, and this is the harder path, because following the way of Jesus is hard. But it's so much more liberating and so freeing. And so if I want to gain my life, I give it away. And if I try to save my life, I lose it. If I live for me, I don't get what I want. But if I live for God and his good, my life is satisfying. It makes no sense. But guess what? We get to be a living display that the way of Jesus is better. So here's what we could do. Let's pull these three weeks together and we'll look at Jesus next week. Do not miss next week. We're gonna turn our eyes to scripture. You have your community group study guide? Here's the cool part. On average, we have 250 to 300 adults who are coming every Sunday. We have 241 of you in a group officially. Yeah, some of you are rebellious. The other nine of you, and you're in a group that you're saying, I don't want to be a part of an official group because they're going to have rules. Check your motivation. But most of our church is connected. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to your group ready. I want you to read the passage or passages before you get there. I want you to make your leader's life easy. I want you to read the questions and think about them before you arrive. And then I want you to come prepared with one answer to one question, just one. Having thought it through, we're going to contribute because the conversation isn't about taking time to talk. It's about the presence of God in your group. And God is there with you and you're hearing from him as you share truth one to another. This is the most amazing time in our church. And I don't want you to miss it. Turn your eyes to scripture. Turn your eyes to repentance. When, repentance is a beautiful word. It's been made negative. It's beautiful. It's turn. When you hear something that's true, turn to it. When you hear something that's right, turn to it. When you hear something is wrong and you realize that's me, turn from it. And you'll find healing. And, and we're going to turn our eyes to Jesus. Israel rejected their God by asking for a king, and we don't want to live like that. All right, um, let's respond and worship. The band's going to come, and we're going to sing. But we're going to do more than just sing. 
I want you to think about ways to respond right now. If something struck you in the last few moments, take this moment right now and write it down. You'll forget it the moment you walk out the door. So respond in worship by saying, Lord, I'm going to write this down because I, I think this is for me. So just write it down. That is an act of worship. You're saying, God, you're, you're speaking, and I want to hear your voice. I want to know your ways. We're going to respond in prayer one for another. Look, if you came in with any burden about anything, we have a prayer team at the back of the room every single week because you never know when it will be helpful for you to receive prayer from a loving friend. When we go to the table to pick up the bread and cup, just go and say, would you pray for me? They're not weird. They're, they're people in this church who just come prayed up, ready to pray for you. And you never know what God may do through some voice that you don't know really well. So receive prayer. We're going to give regularly and generously. Hear me, part of our discipleship to Jesus is trusting him. And some of us are shrinking back in our trust by holding on to the things that God has said. God didn't ask for all of it. He asked for part of it. Hey, I give it all. Use part of it to continue the thing I want to do on the world. Give regularly what you've decided, not reluctantly because some preacher said, we're hurting. No, because God loves a cheerful, generous giver and God can take care of everything. Respond and commit to regular ongoing giving. If this is your church, give it here. If you're a part of another church, give it there. Fantastic. The key is faithfulness. God knows the motivation. God knows the heart. And then we're going to take the bread and the cup because this is all by grace. None of us have it together. I do not but we're growing. And so every week that you come here, we receive the body, we receive the cup. Jesus said, I'm giving my life freely so that your life can be made whole. And we remember Jesus. His death and resurrection is what makes all this possible. And if this uh, morning, if you've not yet started following Jesus, I do it right now. And as you receive the bread and the cup, you can simply say, Jesus, I confess I've sinned against you. I've broken your heart. I've gone my own way, but I receive grace and mercy and forgiveness because of what Jesus did for me. And he will make you new. And then next week, if that's you this, this weekend, if next week you come and you get baptized and tell the world, I now belong to Jesus. All of these are appropriate responses. Now, if you would stand, we're gonna go and uh, I'm gonna invite you to stand. Go straight, grab the bread and the cup. Come back to your seat. We're gonna take it together. And we're going to sing songs of worship to a God is worthy of our praise.